Welcome to Christ and Culture, the podcast of the L. Russ Bush Center for Faith and Culture at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Here we'll explore how the Christian faith intersects all avenues of today's culture through conversations with leading thinkers. Welcome to the conversation. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Christ and Culture podcast. My name is Ken Keithley. And today we are speaking with Dr. David Jones, who is author, uh, co-authored along with Russell Wood Woodbridge, uh, the book Health, Wealth, and Happiness, How the Prosperity Gospel Overshadows the Gospel of Christ. Dr. Jones currently serves as professor of Christian ethics. He's also the associate dean of theological studies and director of the THM program at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary here in Wake Forest where he and I both have the pleasure and privilege of serving. Dr. Jones has authored and co-authored several other published works, including the book Knowing and Doing the Will of God, uh, which we uh, discussed with him in another episode. Please tune in uh, for that podcast also, as Dr. Jones shares practical and helpful insights regarding God's will for our lives. Um, Dr. Jones, thank you for being with us today. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here, Ken. Thank you for having me. So, health, wealth, and happiness. Um, what's not to love? I mean, it almost sounds like you're against the American dream. I mean, we, we, we are, Thomas Jefferson told us, uh, the, that great apostle, that we are to pursue <laughs> life, liberty, and, and the pursuit of happiness. Um, so... Um, you say in your book that one of the reasons why the prosperity gospel is so compelling is because it does contain elements of biblical truth. Talk to us about that. Yeah, and I, yeah I should probably uh, start out, Ken, and, and say just I mean, by way of clarification that I'm not opposed to health, wealth, and happiness. I mean, I mean may... All of our listeners uh, experience all of these things, uh, especially the wealth part, right? And make great donations, you know, to, to the podcast and the seminary. Um, yeah, it. Um, it's, I'm not opposed to these things, but what what the book focuses on is essentially that stripe of theology that we would call the prosperity gospel, which essentially would teach that um, if we're good Christians, uh, if we you know, pay our God tax and put money in the plate at church, that we can then expect these things to be manifest in our lives. Uh, and so with that as being sort of the foundational idea, your, your question um, about there kind of being a, a grain of truth uh, in, um, in this, this teaching uh, and, and what is that? Well, you know, essentially, I guess without um, you know, naming names, uh, you know, but I'm sure that our, our listeners have, you know, probably uh, stumbled across a prosperity gospel preacher before, uh, you know, those late night TBN broadcasts. And, um, you know, if, if you happen to tune in or, or listen to, to these folks, you know, very oftentimes what they're saying actually is fairly solid material. Uh, and, and oftentimes you, you will hear, hear the gospel preached. You, you will hear a passage of scripture exegeted, uh, and you you will hear um, 
good material. Uh, but, but then there will be some of this prosperity theology sprinkled in, uh, it, which in a sense almost makes it more dangerous. You know, they say that, that the, the most dangerous heresies are the ones that are, you know, 95% true. Because then it's so hard to, to spot the error, right? You know, they say, what, a, you know, a broken clock is right twice a day. And if, you know, if, if the theology is all completely wrong uh, and it stands out as such, well, then it's not going to be as attractive as it might be to Orthodox Christians as, as when the theology, you know, is mostly true. And so just essentially, which, which parts of it actually are, are true and, and, and right? Well, oftentimes, just a good bit of it is. Uh, and just, you know, the standard fare that you and I would hear in our churches being taught, oftentimes you will hear that uh, in a prosperity gospel message. Well, you're bringing up a very important point as we talk about uh, what is uh, a believer's experience of the kingdom of God uh, in this present age, and uh, are we not struggling with the now, not yet aspects of God's redemptive work in this world? There is that which has been realized, and then there's that which is not yet. Um, we own all things in Christ Jesus. We have been given the kingdom. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And we're joint heirs with him. Yes. Right? yes. So there is, there is that now uh, reality, but it's not yet revealed what we shall be. And so this brings up that tension that uh, some of the most uh, thoughtful theologians struggle with. Uh, what are we to understand is our present uh, uh, journey, and when will we have the full realization of all of the blessings? You, you mentioned the word stripe, uh, and it made me think of some uh, uh, preachers that I've listened to where they'd argue that by his stripes we are healed, and that healing is part of the atonement. And so therefore, it is perfectly right and proper for a Christian to expect God to heal whatever the disease is that that believer might have at this present time. Um, what's going on here? Why is that not a why is that not sound exposition of God's word? Yeah, and so uh, I guess maybe we need to point out, um, you know, the, the things that that are true uh, in in regard to to healing. Will we all one day be healed uh, and have? resurrected glorified bodies yes uh, and, and lord jesus come quickly right <laughs> we're all falling apart and looking forward to that that day um could god in the here and now step in and heal somebody and perform a miracle well certainly god could i mean god can do whatever he wants to do right but ought we to expect that as a regular normative part of the christian experience that's really where we would draw a line between, um, you know, a, an Orthodox evangelical believer and a preacher of the prosperity gospel, because an Orthodox evangelical believer would say, "Well, we we should pray for those things. That's uh, not wrong to carry all of our petitions to God, uh, and we should desire God's healing, recognizing that oftentimes He He doesn't heal. 
Uh, he may choose to heal miraculously. He may do so through the wisdom and skill of the doctors, uh, through some medication, uh, and that could happen. But he may choose to call a believer home. Uh, and so that's how things may work out, whereas a prosperity gospel preacher would say, well, no, if you have enough faith, uh, if you've just given enough money to my, ch- my church, if you've just believed hard enough and long enough, so you can expect every time to be healed. And this actually is, I think, one of the most really insidious parts of the prosperity gospel. Because what we see as the prosperity gospel plays out is, is this, that you know, for that prosperity gospel church attendee who, who prays for that, that healing from cancer, who prays for their their parents to overcome the dementia or whatever the request might be. Well, when that doesn't happen, what the prosperity gospel preacher says is the reason why it didn't happen is because you didn't give enough money, because you didn't have enough faith. And so not only then does the one making the request have to deal with the suffering and the anguish that comes from the lack of healing, maybe the death of a loved one, but also believing it's their fault because they didn't believe uh, or, or give enough. And what we would say is, again, you know, God, he invites us to make these requests, and we recognize that God might step in and heal. And eventually he will heal, but in the here and now, so because of the effects of sin upon the created order, so... He, he might not heal, and it's appointed unto man uh, to die. Uh, and so if that's what happens, then that's what happens, and that's not because we didn't give enough money to our church. And, and you, you, you described it as being insidious, and I don't think that that's too harsh of a word. Uh, I know personally of a funeral service recently in which uh, a believer died of cancer, and the preacher was a prosperity, health, wealth preacher, and his sermon was informing the congregation that they were to blame for her her death, that if they had had sufficient faith, she would not have died of the cancer, which uh, I found uh, beyond troubling because uh, not only did did, uh, the minister fail to give the comfort of the gospel to the congregation, he did the exact opposite. He, he laid the blame for her uh, death uh, on their lack of faith, which, uh, which, was, which I, I, I felt bordered on cruelty. Uh, and so there is, there is that, that, like you said, the, the very dangerous insidiousness of, of the prosperity gospel. What would you describe as the key characteristics? You know, what would be the identifying markers then of a prosperity ministry? You know, what would be the the flags for a person listening to this podcast if they're you say, well, you know, is this a type of ministry that is a prosperity, health, and wealth church? What what would be some of the 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 markers or the flags? Yeah, and um. Let me give you just, um, I'll give you five markers uh, that we talk about in, in our book, but maybe just even before I do that, just uh, to tie into what you were just saying about the insidious nature of the prosperity gospel, 
One of the surprising things that Dr. Woodbridge and myself found as we were researching our book, um, it, it's that the, the average prosperity gospel follower only stays in the prosperity gospel movement for about three and a half years. That's, that's the average. And so we investigated that and wanted to see why that was the case. And the reason why that's the case, it, it's because of the example that you just gave, Ken. It's, it's that they, they're blamed for someone's death, um, that they give all the money that they have, uh, and the millions for themselves don't materialize, and they're told it's because of their lack of faith. And over the course, on average, of about three and a half years, so they're bled dry of money, uh, so they're, they're blamed for lack of healing. Uh, and then they, they realize that, that the message that they've been hearing uh, is, is not true, and they, they leave the movement. But unfortunately, they don't then, on average, usually then turn to Christ. Usually they mistake the prosperity gospel for the true gospel. They no longer believe the prosperity gospel, which they believe to be the true gospel, and they then are, practically speaking, inoculated against the gospel for the rest of their lives. And you make it sound, and I, if, let me know if this characterization is what you're getting at, you make it sound as if uh, getting involved in a health and wealth church is almost being, like being involved in a pyramid scheme, <laughs> or, uh, you know, where, where this is multi-level marketing. You give to the person above, and you're going to be you're going to be blessed, and what happens is is that uh, lots and lots and lots of people give, and and have only a small handful actually, quote unquote, prosper. And it's usually the leaders in the movement that prosper, and everyone else is usually blood dry. Is what happens. Uh, and and then their prosperity is presented as example number one. This too could be you. And you think, well, like, who would logically get involved in that? Well, I think we all desire to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. You know, and, and if we're told that this is the gospel, um, that, that this is what Jesus has promised us, well, yeah, sign me up. I'll take that, right? And so it sounds really good at the beginning. It's only after two or three years go by and your bank account's empty now <laughs> that you realize the, the, um, the falseness of the message. You know, but... Your question was, you know, some characteristics, I mean, of the movement. Let me give these real, real quick. Um, in our book, we talk about f- five pillars of the prosperity gospel, kind of five characteristics, and they are these. Number one, uh, defining God more as a, a mystical force, um, as, a, um, as a daddy warbucks, uh, a sugar daddy, uh, as opposed to um, our heavenly father. Number two, um, the idea of mind over matter, the idea that um, um, if we can just sort of believe hard enough, if we can conceive of things hard enough, we can speak make them, something into reality. Speak something into reality. Um, there's a miracle in your mouth, they'll say. Uh, and so mind over matter. Number three, an exalted view of, of man, uh, almost a, a divine sort of um, man is a spark of divinity uh, type of teaching. And so not just that we're made in God's image, uh, but that we are divine ourselves. Now, we weren't going to name a whole lot of names, but Kenneth Hagin, that sounds very caref- uh, close to where he talked about the deification of a believer, where we, we are gods also. Um, 
the word faith movement. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and the word faith movement is, is a great example of prosperity theology. I think that'll probably help some of our, our listeners kind of get their minds around what we're talking about here. Um, yeah, and so that idea just of you know, the, the deification of man, uh, which is kind of the lever that's pulled as, um, as an example of, of why this works. It's because we're gods, right? Number four, a preoccupation with health and wealth, uh, and that, that preaching of health and wealth, uh, um, the, the desire for, for giving as a, not just an opportunity to worship, but as a Christian duty uh, that we all have. And then number five, the idea of, of salvation being not as much um, a, a, um, a forgiveness of sins and a entering into a, um, a reconciliation with God, but uh, an escaping a non-prosperous, poor life. Uh, salvation is more of a, a mystical experience where we move from material poverty to material wealth. And so if you're, if you're hearing someone preach or teach, you're reading a book, and it has these one or more of these five things uh, in them, well then I'd say that it, it could be someone that leans towards the prosperity gospel. And of course, there are folks who are, are very egregious examples of the prosperity gospel, and there are folks that are, are less egregious that maybe have just bought into maybe one of these ideas. But those would be the general characteristics of prosperity theology. So what we find if in a prosperity theology is a very realized kind of understanding. You know, we are in the promised land. Whereas it seems to me that the New Testament teaches that we are in a foreign land. We are still pilgrims in exile. Yet living in exile, we are to live here, are we not? So therefore there is a... There, there, there is a, a, a place for doing well and experiencing the blessings of God while, we, uh, while we're still not yet in the New Jerusalem. Yeah. Hmm. One, so, so how would you speak to someone who says, okay, uh, I'm not trying to, to, to do a business deal with God. What is the proper theology for giving and, and being generous in my local church and in opportunities to serve. Yeah, and I, I'll, I'll plug a, um, another book, if, if I could, the um, book I wrote called Every Good Thing, uh, which actually I, I wrote in, in conjunction and in partnership uh, with the center here, um, which I go into more detail on a, a proper view of the material world. Um, and so your, your question, what is a proper, a proper view? Well, maybe in a practical sense, we could say it like say it like this: that you know, in the material world that we're in, so you know, God expects us to labor and to work, and, and it, it's a good thing to work. Uh, and we we're made in God's image; God's a creator, so we're to create, we're to labor. Uh, and and as the gospel brings order to our lives, as we do labor, so we oftentimes find that the gospel actually improves our work ethic. You know, we start opening. Uh, we start rather showing up to work on time. We start working and being industrious. And if we do that, oftentimes, you know, our pay increases. Right? And so historically, uh, we could document that the go- as the gospel has spread around the world, so oftentimes there has been a material flourishing that comes with it. And that can be a, a good thing. That is a good thing. And so, again, we're not opposed to health and wealth. We're just opposed to the idolization of it. And we're opposed to tying it 
inherently to the gospel as a, as a promise, as opposed to, I guess you could maybe perhaps say, a, a side benefit of the gospel that oftentimes comes, but not always. And there are many that might choose to purposely pursue a career that's not high-paying, and because that's where they've been gifted, and that's what their desire might be. Uh, and you know, to be like the son of man that had no place to lay his head, or, or to be like Paul, incredibly in, you know, intellectual, gifted man who chose to spend his life as a missionary, traveling around um, you know, it, it, for the good of the kingdom. And there's nothing wrong with that either. Uh, and so it's really that, that, that necessary tie between material goods and the gospel where I would perceive the prosperity gospel to, to err. So what you're saying is, is that we do believe in human flourishing. It's, the problem is, is whenever we define flourishing strictly in materialistic categories. Uh, it, there's been plenty of studies done that show that where the gospel is preached and it takes root um, throughout the world, that there are all types of good things that measured by whatever metric you want to, to use, uh, uh, rise in health care, rise in literacy, uh, you know, the, the economic well-being, uh, the democracy, the, the, the caring for uh, the marginalized. And in every, every one of those areas, uh, the gospel uh, has a demonstrable positive effect. And so we would say, this is bringing about the prosperity to a community. Uh, we, we, we would applaud that. Certainly so, and, and, um, and, and praise God that that has been a phenomenon and effect of the gospel. Um, and, and in large part, that does happen, but there may be individual believers you know, in those contexts that still get cancer and die, right? Uh, who, who choose a, a, a low-paying job or whatever it might be. And we would say that, that's okay too, because as believers, you know, they are prospering uh, as, as God defines prospering in a spiritual sense, in a, having a reconciled relationship with Christ. Uh, and, and one day, so they will walk on street, streets of gold uh, and be in his presence with a glorified body. Uh, and so it's to go back to your, your already not yet uh, illustrations from earlier, maybe we could summarize sort of the the error of the prosperity gospel is it's it's making that that not yet the already and defining that as the gospel. So uh, you've given some very good encouragement for those who perhaps are struggling financially that this is not an indication that God is not that they somehow missed out on God's blessings. Uh, so what word of of encouragement or direction would you give uh, to those who do? experience the material blessings of life. They, let's say, you know, they're in the top 20% of, of income earners, and they, 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 have, uh, they do have all of the, the trappings that we, we associate with achieving the American dream. Uh, what word would you give to them? How would you say, okay, here's how to approach things? Yeah, you know, it, it's, it's not money that's the root of all evil, right? It's the love of money. And so my encouragement to them would be, uh, you know, don't disproportionately um, let your heartstrings become attached to your material well-being, but rather use the blessings of God upon your life. Use those to finance the gospel, to finance the kingdom. And I, I praise God that he raises up men and women um, whom he blesses with incredible business acumen 
uh, and blesses materially, and he raises them up to, to finance the gospel, to, to, to help build the churches uh, and, and pay for the missionaries uh, and, and all that that needs to be financed. And so my exhortation would be to, to do those things uh, and realize that it's, it's temporary, that you can't take it with you, right? And so use it in the here and now for his purposes. Don't feel guilty about it. Um, but rather recognize it as the blessing of God uh, and view it appropriately through that gospel lens. To, to, to be blessed in order to be a blessing seems to be a biblical theme. Uh, as you point out, um, the Bush Center is a po- has been made possible at Southeastern because of the generous gifts of certain individuals who God did bless them with the ability to to uh, be very successful in the business world. And I'm very thankful for them, not only for their business success, but their recognition that God had given them an opportunity to serve the kingdom in this way. You know, I I think that one of the spiritual gifts even, um, that if we had some time we could unpack this, it's that spiritual gift of of giving. Uh, And I was talking with a man um, about 10 years ago, uh, probably one of the most wealthy mans, uh, men on the East Coast and who just gives millions of dollars every year to, um, to, to Christian causes. And I, I asked him, you know, why he, he gives so much to the church, you know, to, to kingdom issues and causes. And he said, you know, it, it's, it's, um, he said, it's kind of like that, you know, that movie Chariots of Fire, right? He said, you know, when I give, I feel God's pleasure. He said, and God has gifted me with this business acumen that everything I touch turns to gold. And I feel like he's given me that ability you know, to finance the kingdom of God. And that, that's a man who's a multimillionaire uh, who I think has a proper view on things. He's not holding things too tightly, uh, you know, realizing that as you said, uh, Ken, that he, he's been blessed in order to bless. And so, indeed, I, I praise God for folks that he raises up to, to do that. That's, that's just as important as the pastor in the pulpit. Uh, it's the one who is uh, financing the facilities that can make that happen. We have been listening to uh, Dr. David Jones, uh, author of Health, Wealth, and Happiness, How the Prosperity Gospel Overshadows the Gospel of Christ. He co-authored the work with uh, Dr. Russell Woodbridge, who is a missionary in Eastern Europe. And um, uh, I consider him one of the wealthiest men I know, spiritually speaking, because of the way God has blessed his life and his ministry. So, Dr. Jones, thank you for being with us today. This is the Christ and Culture Podcast. I'm Ken Keefley, wishing you a good day.